Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Now, it's funny because when we were planning the worship service, or when we were planning the sermon series, of course, we didn't know, uh, or at least it wasn't in, in my head, that like this would be the week that the jury would start to be selected for the Chauvin trial, uh, Derek Chauvin being the police officer who murdered uh, Mr. George Floyd. And so, obviously, there's some, like, scripture that I wish I could be preaching on. Like, for example, the scripture of the persistent woman who advocated to a judge until she saw justice. Or, like, any of the myriad psalms or prophetic texts that talk about how important it is to, like, seek justice in society and how justice is a sign of faithfulness. Uh, Which is a biblical tradition, by the way, that justice is a sign of faithfulness. Uh, However, we decided our sermon series ahead of time, and that means I have the dragon and the sun woman text. But in the mysterious way that the Bible does accompany us in a living way, I found out that this text is actually the perfect text for us to be exploring in this particular moment and in this particular time. So uh, before we jump in into that, though, I want to just give a little bit of context in case folks aren't familiar with what's going on. And of course, uh, if, if the title of this sermon, or if the title of this worship service didn't give you a clue enough, like just trigger warning that we're going to be talking about police brutality and the events that surrounded May 2020 and all the things that happened. I know that lots of folks were traumatized from the uprisings, including lots of folks at New City Church. So if you are feeling like you're really noticing something coming up in your body, Feel free to pace around your room. Feel free to shut your laptop and look out a window, drink some water, maybe get in touch with a mental health professional. Therapy is a beautiful thing. Right, so let's give a little bit of context to what's going on. So uh, starting tomorrow, March 8th, Derek Chauvin, the police officer who murdered Mr. George Floyd, will um, the trial process will start. But what that means is that they're going to be selecting a jury to, that, that the lawyers are going to have to like try to show evidence for to make a case for why the jury should vote in the direction that they should. I should also preface this with, um, I'm a pastor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a reporter, and I'm not like someone who has been like clicking refresh on the Chauvin trial Google News to like read through every little thing that I possibly can about this. And I know that there are like Enneagram fives in our community who are like, oh, that's an option to not just like research things to the fullest extent. Like, yes, uh, I'm a seven. I keep running around. But I did try to learn uh, as much as I can uh, about this in preparation for the sermon. Of course, uh, do check out. I, I found some really helpful articles that I thought gave good insight to both the process as well as some like activist steps that can be taken out of this. So uh, please do check these out. Of course, this video will be available in the New City Facebook archive, video archive, so you can go back and uh, read more deeply about this. 
Right. So tomorrow marks the beginning of when they will start to select the jury for the Chauvin case. And what that means is that they're going to be selecting 12 people to serve on the jury with four alternates, and uh, they'll start interviewing folks. And the um, goal of the jury, you might, uh, if you've like looked at law stuff before, you might remember that the goal of a jury is um, the, of selecting a jury is to select people who haven't, who aren't going into the case already decided on how they're going to vote about the case. Uh, you're you're looking for a jury that can be swayed either way. Of course, since the Chauvin trial was so public, there's no way that you can find twelve people in Minnesota who just like don't have opinions about this. So already uh, within this interview process, there is opportunity for a lot of people of prayer to be praying that um, those interviews and, and the results of those interviews, the jurors who are selected from those interviews, can truly reflect the community, can reflect the, the will of the people, and, and not just, um, for example, one of the articles mentioned that uh, if someone uh, comes, comes in with a particularly anti-cop bias, then they might not be selected for the jury because of that. Which um, I guess would make sense if we were talking in like theory or hypothetical, like if there was a, um, if there was a baguette on trial and someone came in who was like particularly anti-carbs, I could see how that would already, that wouldn't really serve justice because that baguette deserves every chance that every baguette gets. <laughs> However, like with something as historical and fraught as policing, there are some communities, particularly black, brown, and, and immigrant communities, that have certain deeply embedded uh, opinions about the police officers. Not all folks of those communities, but uh, many of them. And so already I think that there's kind of uh, an opportunity for prayer and justice to be served, even in the selection of the jury. The reason why that's important is because down the line, once all of the evidence is presented and all the trials and stuff start, um, the jury has to vote unanimously to convict uh, uh, Officer Chauvin, former Officer Chauvin. Uh, the jury has to vote unanimously, which means that even if there's like one person who is still holding out, then, then they wouldn't be able to convict him. Yeah. And that process takes a couple weeks. And so on March 29th, the prosecution and the defense are scheduled to begin their testimonies on March 29th, which is awfully close to Good Friday. Jesus, <laughs> help us. Um, and so the, um, you know, that's, that's when the prosecution and the defense will be giving their arguments for things. Um, Officer Chauvin is being charged, as of right now, Officer Chauvin is being charged second degree murder and manslaughter. Uh, there is uh, there is a push to try to add third degree murder onto Officer Chauvin. As an aside, back in October, they tried to put third degree murder charges onto this trial, and it was kicked out because they said that third degree murder third degree murder charges can't be applied to one person. However, uh, prosecutors are now trying to reintroduce that citing a decision made by the appeals court decision last month that upheld the third-degree murder conviction of former Minneapolis police officer Muhammad Noor. In that instance, it did apply to one person. And so they're like, if it applies to one person, then it shouldn't apply to this one person. So that's kind of 
that thing. So just a reminder that laws are um, certainly the intention of laws are trying to protect like a certain morality that present in society. Um, and, and that's been the purpose of laws since the Ten Commandments, right? Um, however, like lawyer, a job of a lawyer is not to uh, present what is morally credible, but rather to show whether or not there's sufficient evidence for a certain charge. So for example, um, uh, this the, the testimonies will not be about whether or not um, it was bad that Mr. George Floyd died, or whether it was wrong that Mr. George Floyd died. Rather, what uh, specifically looking at second degree murder and manslaughter, there will be uh, evidence that is trying to see whether or not um, uh, former Officer Chauvin acted with culpable negligence as he knew his actions would harm or kill Floyd. Because culpable negligence is one of the, one of the boxes that need to be checked in order for this to be the conviction. And so some of the evidence that the lawyers on uh, Chauvin's, Chauvin's side might use is, for example, the autopsy of Mr. George Floyd, which showed that he did die by homicide, but also that he had COVID-19 in his system, a history of heart disease, and he had drugs in his system at the time, arguing like, well, maybe he kind of sort of died from that instead of like a man standing on his, or kneeling on his neck for eight minutes. Okay. And also this trial will be uh, live streamed on Court TV. However, um, they're not expecting that they will, they will arrive at a decision until like April or May. And so um, it's not gonna be like this like fast paced Hollywood movie thing. Like there's, there's gonna be a lot, it's gonna be a little bit more tedious because like kind of intentionally the law is trying to be tedious for the sake of making sure that all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. As much as possible and you might be asking wait a second weren't there four police officers present when all of this went down and you're right however um because of COVID 19 restrictions they said that there's no phys there's no courtroom large enough for those four officers and all the personnel required for those four officers to be in the same room at the same time keith ellison argues that this is problematic because uh the other three officers who will be tried in august are going to be um, a, a lot of the same evidence that is used during the Chauvin trial is going to be used during these three other uh, the trial for the other three, and it, it's just simply re-traumatizing and elongating the pain for the the people who will be testifying. Also, like going back to the whole jury thing, it's going to be hard for subsequent juries for that trial to be like the unbiased people that the jury is supposed to be even more so after we see how things shake out with Chauvin. The city has been noticeably ramping up their security by putting up uh, fences, barbed wire, and other like fortifications around uh, in key buildings downtown. There are also, the mayor said that there are 3,000 officers across the state on the ready as well as National Guard. Meanwhile, the Minneapolis Office of Violence Prevention Director, Sasha Cotton, is working on community uh, organizing and, and putting out a toolkit for people to uh, host conversations, to connect with their neighbors, and to tell them how to barricade their street if they so choose. And they'll be distributing flashlights and safety vests. If I'm honest, the outcome that I'm most fearful of from this whole trial is that there will be a perfectly reasonable explanation. 
uh, on, on why a former officer Chauvin should not be really disciplined at all. Because there's always a perfectly reasonable explanation on why the the death of black and brown bodies is justified. There's always a perfectly reasonable explanation for oppression to continue in society. That's kind of the way that it works with systemic injustice, is, is the systems are built on an internal logic that does not account for the humanity of marginalized people. And so it's perfectly reasonable for that system to continue to <laughs> increase that oppression. It reminds me of that part in 1 Corinthians where Paul is saying like, God's love is foolishness to the world's systems. Uh, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You know, and I think that the fool, it's like, there's always going to be a perfectly reasonable explanation for injustice to happen. And somehow we are called to practice a foolish love, a foolish faithfulness that insists on liberation, even when it defies the logic of the systems that exist. My concern is that there is way more planning being done right now on preventing an insurrection or an uprising or a riot from happening than there is planning on preventing more Mr. George Floyd's being murdered. And that's 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 the, the perfectly logical explanation of, of systems and societies. It's like we have to protect things and, and quell unrest. But ne there's never like a, a part of the charter that says like we have to unearth the sin in the collective soul of our city before we can ever get to a peaceful society. And that is what the foolishness of God is calling us to. And I think that there's a striking image of the foolishness of God in the scripture that we heard today, because there's this seven-headed dragon with diadems, you know, like like representative of um, the seven heads, maybe representative of the seven emperors of Rome. It's like, okay, here's this like huge, massive, it's like mean, it's representing the devil, it's representing the persecutors of, of people who proclaim liberating faith. Like this is like, whoa, 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 cosmic evil, right? And then there's the sun woman who's like, dressed in the sun, which kind of, I'm not going to lie, reminds me a little bit of the last scene of The Little Mermaid. And like, she's pregnant and, uh, and her, she's like about to give birth. And, and the dragon comes on over and is getting ready to like snatch up this baby as soon as she gives birth. And just the juxtaposition, by the way, of like, this woman being in the most vulnerable and filled with pain, place in her life juxtaposed with the cruelty of this dragon ready to snatch and uh and and then the sun woman gives birth and the angels are like not today satan literally um and and then what happens they give the sun woman maternity leave uh to be in the desert for over a thousand days let me look it up yeah so she goes to like a resort in new mexico a place in the desert uh, and she'll be taken care of for 1,260 days. Imagine if we just had maternity leaves for 1,260 days. That's biblical. So a theme that has been throughout this Revelation Reclaimed series is um, images of resistance and rebellion. 
And in fact, we have a performing arts series from our community right now uh, that's available on our Instagram. Videos of people uh, creating art as acts of rebellion and resistance. And I think that that's a very sun woman kind of move to do. <laughs> because after she's uh, done with her maternity leave in the desert, what happens? The desert, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the dragon gets thrown down into the desert and then starts chasing after her. And it's like on, right? And the desert like spews like this like hot river liquid to try to like drown her or whatever. And I think that's such a, a potent image in itself because doesn't it feel like when we're trying to do what is right in the world, when we're trying to speak courageously and follow our calling, when we're trying to create impossible community that hasn't existed before, sometimes it kind of feels like you're drowning a little bit. And at this moment, I think that John is trying to reach out, the author John is trying to reach out to Christians all over the place who kind of feel up to their necks in what's going on in the world, saying, you have to resist how a son woman resists for us to create the kingdom that God wants us to create. And so we learn from this woman in the Bible how to resist this dragon. What does she do? First of all, the sun woman gives birth, creates life, insists on creating life even when the circumstances are perilous. And I don't just mean procreation, like this isn't like, shout out to people in sacred witnessing who reference the quiverful movement. This isn't about procreation. This is about insisting that God's spirit is bringing us back to life, even when the circumstances are impossible. I think about last summer when the, um, during the uprising, when all of the windows along Lake Street were boarded up with plywood and all of the artists of the community took to Lake Street and created like blocks and blocks of murals of hope and joy and signifying that black liberation is the basis for our collective liberation like that is the the arrowhead of how we will all be free like there was art that showed who we were and reminded us who we can become that is insisting on life. That is insisting on birthing out a revolution, even when the dragon's mouth is right there. What else did the sun woman do? She was given eagle's wings to fly. I think this is like, besides that this might be a, a reference to Isaiah, I think that this is just a beautiful image of like, sometimes the devil's at our back and we still have to figure out how to fly. We have to fly, we have to soar, we have to uh, uh, practice excellence in our community, we have to fulfill God's calling for us, we have to live into and lean into this promise of an abundant life, even when things are terrible. I continue to be inspired by how many people have run for office and organized people running for office directly in response to the dragon's of what's going on, right? And the third thing that the Sun Woman does, uh, right when she's, uh, 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 the river of the dragon is coming at her, she grounds down. And did you see the scripture? It says that the earth helps her. The earth helps her. So 
An act of resistance, as taught by the Sun Woman, is to ground down and receive the help from the earth that is being offered to us by creation. I get to see this up front in, through the Incarnation Fund, which is a ministry of New City that supports people of color in accessing therapy of color, as well as spiritual direction and nature-based retreats. Of course, this past year, our nature-based retreats have been distanced, but I, th I think the provocation of saying the most oppressed people can continue to receive support simply from the God who built the ground underneath their feet is the type of revolutionary theology that we need right now. The insistence that we can receive help from the God who created all things by trusting the creation is what will defeat the dragon. And I know that there are New City people watching this right now being like, yeah, but we got to show up. We have to resist not in like this whimsical fairy way, but like in real ways, we have to push. And of course, that is true. Things won't change unless we show up and push. But when I consider what I believe about Christ our maker, when I consider the nature of the resurrection and the revolution of the lamb, I have to believe that our inward transformation reflects the outward transformation, that somehow we need to be discovering the revolution that is gestating within us before we can give birth to it, that we need to ground ourselves literally so that we can soar. I believe that God made us to require a certain type of spiritual maturity for us to evolve as a society. And I have no doubt that there will be unrest in the streets in the next coming weeks and months. I have no doubt that there will be protests that I think we should show up to. But it's not just showing up, it's how you show up. If we can robe ourselves in the sun, if we can put the moon under our feet and take upon ourselves the crown made of stars, I believe we will show up to those things with a certain type of grace, a charism, a spirit of revolutionary love, of liberating resurrection that will change the movement and will change us in the process. We need new policy that is fueled by new prophecy. And where do you think that comes from, but from everyday folks who are praying for justice? This is the invitation for everyone who has signed up to be in the movement following Jesus, the followers of Christ who insist on liberating love for our world, even while we are in the mouth of the dragon. Let us journey together and let us journey with God. Amen. I would like us to bless each other as a movement because it's not me who's the grand marshal of what will be just. It is God moving among us collectively and when we bless each other, we remind each other of that. Could you just write, the peace of the earth be with you uh, in the chat? And if you're watching these comments and you're seeing the peace of the earth, just know that the same earth that figuratively in this biblical story opened up to swallow the river of the dragon, which represents the emperor, then just know that God created that earth to be underneath your feet as well. Uh, your body as well, and that piece of the earth is available to you as well. 
I also wanted to mention, so that just so that it's on your radar if it's not already, that there is something called Yes for Minneapolis, which is a, um, a petition, a people's petition to create a new uh, department of public safety that would include responders to emergencies besides just police responders. So um, I, I've signed on to this. I find this to be compelling. You get to decide for yourself. The petition is to put this on the ballot in November. The petition doesn't create a department. That Wouldn't that be wild if any petition could create any department? Because there would definitely be a department of Hamilton the Musical. <laughs> the petition simply puts it on the ballot in November. And so if you're interested in this, definitely check out the New City Community Group. It's a Facebook group. If you want to be part of it, just um, put a comment or let us know and we'll add you to it. And, uh, and the, because it's a petition and because of COVID-19 and because it's putting something on the ballot, you have to sign onto the petition. Like in real life, you can't sign onto it digitally. So we'll be posting um, some updates on when we hear uh, those signings will be available. Just know that there are practical steps that we can take right now as a community, regardless of how the trial goes in the next few months.